Chapter twenty four of People Like That. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. People Like That by Kate Langley Bosher. Chapter twenty four. Telling Madeline not to unpack her bags, I gave her one of my kimonos and ordered her to lie down while I slipped downstairs for a few words with Mrs. Mundy. There was time for only a hurried talk, but during it I told her what I wanted her to do, what she must get Mr. Crimm to do, and also, if inquiry was made for me during the coming day, she was to say I was out, and she did not know just when I would be in. As Mrs. Swink was unaware that her daughter had made frequent visits to Scarborough Square at the same time Mr. Thomas Cressy happened to be there, she was hardly apt to associate me with their departure from the city. Still, with less justice, I have been held responsible for things with which I had nothing to do, and, that Mrs. Mundy be prepared for possible questions, I gave her a few instructions concerning them. She recalled clearly the conversation of which I had heard a few words, but the girl talking to her had not mentioned the name of the girl of whom she talked, or of that of the man who was being nursed by her. She spoke of her as a friend who was a fool to care for a man as she cared. Mrs. Mundy put her hand to her mouth to cover a yawn. She said, I got up. It was too late for details. Find the girl who came to see you and if the friend of whom she is speaking is Etta Blake, get her address and go to see her if you can. If not, send Mr. Crimm. Tell the latter he must find Harry. He may be somewhere under an assumed name. So may Etta Blake. Do you suppose it is possible they can be together somewhere? Anything is possible. Mrs. Mundy blinked her eyes bravely to prevent my seeing the overpowering sleep in them, and quickly I went to the door. It's a shame you have to go to the train with us. You can come right back, however, and sleep as late as you want. The cab will be here at 3.30. Take a nap until then, and don't look so worried. I'm not committing a crime. I'm helping to keep someone else from committing one. Good night. I kissed the dear soul, and leaving her, hurried upstairs. Madeline was lying down when I came back in the room, and, wanting much to talk, she began to do so, but unfeelingly I made her stop. Getting out of the oldest and shabbiest dress I possessed, with a hat to correspond, I took off my party dress, and slipped into a warm and worn wrapper. After putting a few things in a bag, without further undressing, I stretched out on the couch near the foot of the bed, and in the dark called to Madeline. You won't be a beautiful bride if you don't get some sleep. Shut your eyes. Mine were shut. I wasn't going to be married. I was only a very tired maiden lady about to do something she had no business doing, and shamelessly I went to sleep and left Madeline awake. Seemingly I had slept but a few moments when, opening my eyes, I saw Madeline standing, fully dressed by the side of my couch, and looking down at me. "'It's ten minutes past three, she said. "'I hate to wake you, but—' Springing up, I threw off my wrapper and reached down for my shoes— if you had waked me before you put on your dress, you wouldn't have to take it off. You're going to wear that dress. I pointed to the one on the chair behind her. I'm sorry your wedding garments can't be more festive, and that I'll have to wear your good clothes, but we mustn't run risks merely for pride. Take your dress off quickly and give it to me. Don't look at me, but hurry. Madeline's mind does not work as quickly as some people's, and a little time was lost in explaining that any description to which she would answer would have to apply to me, not her. In consequence, the cab was at the door before she was fully garmented in my plainest clothes, and I arrayed in her beautiful ones, and regretfully she looked at me. 
and taller and slenderer than madeline but fashion was in my favour and the absence of fit and shortness of skirt gave emphasis of adherence to its requirements i looked the part she didn't at the station tom and selwyn were waiting and their puzzled incomprehension was even greater than madeline's had been explanations included a few suggestions as to the wisdom of our separating and the men agreeing selwyn and i went in the pullman and poor little rich madeline and tom to a day-coach where crying babies and peanut hulls and close air and torn papers would have made them wretchedly unhappy had they not been happily unconscious of them i was sorry for them but marriage involves much as the train pulled out i waved from the window to mrs mundy who on the platform waved back with one hand and with the other wiped her eyes mrs mundy loves me but she too does not always approve of me travel evidently was light the sleeper in which we found ourselves had barely two-thirds of the berths made up and the rest of the seats being empty we took ours in a corner where in an undertone we could talk and not disturb others taking off madeline's handsome fur coat and newest hat i put the latter in its paper bag and gave the former to selwyn to hang on a hook gloves and other things being disposed of i again sat down and suggested that he also make himself comfortable and at the same time change his expression later you can smoke but at present you will have to be in here where i am compelled to look at you the photographic injunction to look pleasant oughtn't to apply only to the taking of pictures for the love of heaven sit down selwyn and behave yourself selwyn hung up his hat and coat and took the seat opposite mine from him came radiation of endurance and objecting to being endured i spoke impatiently i did not care to be travelling at four o'clock in the morning any more than he did but much in life has to be done that isn't preferable he had invited himself to take the trip his desire to share any criticism coming to me for my part in it was sincere but rather than shielding it might subject me to an increased amount for the first time such a possibility came to me and looking up i saw his eyes were gravely watching me i thought i was behaving i'm willing to play the part properly if i know the part but i don't know it your intimations have been indefinite there's been no time for any other sort when mrs swink learns that madeline and tom have run away she will begin to ask where and somebody will certainly suggest claxon then why go to claxon they're not going to claxon we are going there just this side is a little station at which they can take a local for shelby they will change at this station and go to shelby while we keep on to claxon and get off there but last night you insisted on their going to claxon selwyn's voice implied that a woman's methods of management were beyond a man's understanding inquiries will be made as to who bought tickets for claxon mrs swink will have the whole police department running around for clues and things i told you not to buy tickets did you i did not i'm taking orders and doing what i'm told but being new at it i don't work as smoothly as i might is there any special reason why i shouldn't have bought tickets there is i opened my pocket-book and taking out a note handed it to him i'll take breakfast with you but i'll have to pay my railroad fare i didn't want you to get tickets because if two couples bought them it would cause confusion and telegrams might be sent to shelby also i didn't have time to think it all out last night i only knew tom and madeline must seemingly go to claxon and yet not go i wasn't sure what could be done but after you decided to come i thought we could play the part and give them time to be married at shelby you mean you and i are to pretend we are somebody else mean selwyn's voice was protestingly puzzled impersonation did not appeal there'll be no necessity to pretend if a sheriff with orders to do so takes charge of us 
he will hardly believe our assertion that we are not the parties wanted he's used to that all we will have to do is to wait until tom and madeline come back when they show as proper a marriage certificate as a dairymaid and farmer laddie ever framed he will let us go you don't look as if playing groom to my bride pleases you i'm sorry but into selwyn's eyes came that which made me turn mine away and look out of the window unthinkingly i had invited what he was going to say playing groom does not interest me why play and stop looking out of the window he changed his seat and took the one beside me look at me danny why can't we be married at claxon we'll wait for those children to come back and then is that exactly fair i drew away the hands he was hurting in his tense grip i hardly thought you'd take i shut my eyes to keep back quick tears for which there was no accounting something curiously was suddenly possessing me something that for weeks i had seemed fighting and resisting an overmastering desire to give in to surrender to yield to his love for me to mine for him was disarming me and swift inexplicable impulse to marry him and give up the thing i was trying to do urged and swept over me and then i remembered his house with its high walls and i remembered scarborough square until there was between them sympathy and understanding there could be no abiding basis on which love could build and find enrichment and fulfilment straightening i sat up but i was conscious of being very tired please don't selwyn the hand i had drawn away i held out to him we must not think or talk of ourselves today this is not our day but i want my day his strong fingers twisted into mine with bruising force i have waited long for it for all others you have consideration but my happiness alone you ignore you seem to think my endurance is beyond limit how long are you going to keep this thing up some day you're going to marry me why not today i shook my head i cannot marry you today take care the conductor was coming down the aisle toward us End of chapter twenty four